Welcome to the Twee Couch Guitar Therapy Session where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch, we are counseling on Vox Amp Magic. The Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Yardbirds, U2, Queen, Brad Paisley. What do all these artists have in common? They are part of the story of the iconic tone that is Vox Amplification. Starting out, I was a Fender guy. Early professional, I made my way into Vox modeling amps. Professional, I rocked a Marshall half stack. Now, I play them all, but when I fly into a gig, I generally ask for Vox. Of course, over time, I had a lot of trial and error, but it wasn't until I played a cranked Vox AC-15 or an AC-30 that I realized that I had missed the boat and there was something special, even magical, about the Vox amplifier. But what era is the best? Who do we know that plays these stellar amps? Where did the name Vox come from? Is there a difference tonally from amp to amp? What is a Wharfdale? Are greenbacks or blues better? Can you still find an AC30 for less than 500 bucks? What do the numbers mean? And settings. How do you find your Vox tone? Well, we'll discuss this and more on this group therapy session with Lloyd on the Tweed Couch. Well, Lloyd, thank you so much for joining me once again to talk about some Vox Amp magic. Now, we recently talked about some glorious tone, and you even talked about an AC30 that you recently bought. And so I want to talk about all those things because there is definitely some magic in the Vox Amp. So thank you, Lloyd, for being a part of the Tweed Couch. Yeah, thanks for asking. Love our time together. Yes, and I love talking with you. And okay, let's start with a little bit of Vox history, and then let's get into the magic. Because to me, those are two different things. Vox history is Vox history. They happened, things occurred, business decisions were made. But on the stage, that's where the magic happened. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, in the back room when they were like redoing things, that's when the magic happened. So... Let's talk a little bit about history. Do you happen to know what the Latin term vox means? No. Okay. If you had to think about it, it you've run a soundboard before. On a soundboard, every once in a while, you'll see it, somebody write vox on the soundboard. What does that usually mean? Vocals. And that's what vox means. So the term vox in Latin means voice. Wow. And... I think that's super cool considering yeah. that they've got like, you know, the they've got the Vox, they had Univox, which was one of their company sub counters where they did they did guitars eventually, but they mostly did like, you know, keyboards and stuff like that. And Univox, one voice. Huh. Hey. No idea. Yeah, super cool, right? So th- when I look at Vox and I understand it's a UK product started in about 1957. Thomas Jennings came up with this thing. And usually when I think Vox, the first name that comes to my head is usually Beatles. Sure. If I had to pick a second one, I generally think of like Brian May. Mm-hmm. You know, so Queen. Yeah. If I have to think a third, I might be going Tom Petty. Uh, 
I think Tom Petty was more like a deluxe. See, and that's where I start to get a little hazy because Tom Petty is known for his telly with his fenders. But for whatever reason, I'm guessing it's because anytime I've ever played Tom Petty type tunes, it's yeah. only a Vox that gets me his tone. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of? Well, my three are uh, the first two you just said, and then I always go Brad Paisley, which is what's oh, so interesting. So many people. Duh. You know, you'll hear people on in the forums, they'll say, what is your desert island amplifier? And what they mean by that is if you can only take one, if you're going to be stranded on a desert island with a guitar and an amplifier, what is the guitar you would bring and what is the amplifier you would bring? And a lot of people say Vox AC30. And the reason they say that is because that amp can get you Brian May or Brad Paisley. <laughs> yeah. So it makes sense. I get that. No, that's very true. And that's the thing is that I look at the Vox and I get it. Like some people will be like, oh, the 64 Vox, like that's where it was at. And some were like, oh, no, no, no. It was like the the early 60 like Vox. And other people will say, no, it was Korg era. That was the Vox. (laughs) But the fact is, is that what I found is the Vox in general can coax out so many different tones and every Vox, to me, has always sounded just a little different. And I don't know why, but when I plug it in, it still sounds Voxy. don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I've plugged into two Vox AC30s sitting right next to each other. And both of them tweaked just a little different, gave a little different magic. Hmm. And that leads me to believe that every Vox has its own piece of magic inside it. It's a wonderful thought. It is. It's a wonderful Mm. thought. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about the magic of Vox. When I think of the magic, one of the things I think of is a story about the Beatles. So I don't know if you ever heard this, but the Beatles, they were kind of a new band. And they needed some more powerful amps. And they were going to be doing this show. So they went ahead and they contacted or their manager contacted this new guy who was making these amplifiers, these AC-15s, which actually I think at the time might have been called AC-1s. You know, Mm. it was like the first Vox, you know, so they just called it an AC-1. And the manager contacted them and said, hey, we need amplifiers for this. And they said, we don't give away amplifiers. Mm -hmm. The person in charge was like... You know, we might want to give this band this. They're they're kind of a big deal. And the owner was like, we do not give away amplifiers. Like, that's just not a thing we do. And finally, they ended up making this deal where it was, you know what? If you give us these amplifiers to use, we swear we'll never use another amplifier again. And hmm. sure enough, the Beatles, they went from their AC-15s to AC-30s, to AC-50s, to the Super Beetle, Mm -hmm. which was named after them, Mm -hmm. the AC-100s, I don't know, whatever. They went to all these different ones, and they were a Vox band. So so tell me this. The uh, Revolution tune? Say you want a revolution, well, you know. Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) I hate that tone on that song. Love the song. Really? Yeah. I feel like I got a better take in that. So you say you want a revolution. Well, you know. That's better. Yeah, no, and, and I don't know if uh, if they used a fuzz pedal with it. 
It's just, it's crappy. Not crappy in a good way for me. And yet, what a hit song. And it doesn't matter. But, you know, it's the era. The question that I have is, is it the guitar that you don't like or is it the bass you don't like? Because I found a number of times that I listened to the guitar tone and I would go, you know, that Beatles tune guitar tone is good but I don't like the bass tone or it's, I liked the bass tone, but it was the guitar tone that was crappy. Or you could tell that they just plugged it directly into the board and never did anything with it. Yeah. Well, I I don't know what they did. I don't know if it was an, a Vox. I'm pretty sure it was a fuzz pedal they used. Okay. But I just, man, I go, even at the air, I know it was a different time mm-hmm. and distortion was kind of a new thing, but I'm like, really? You guys were listening to that going, yeah, that is so cool. You know, I listen to that and just go, that is trash. So what's interesting is if it was a fuzz tone, there were not a whole lot of fuzzes out at that point. Because I went ahead and looked it up real quick. The Revolution song was actually released in mid-1968. Okay. So it was recorded in July. It was released in August. It was the B-side to Hey Jude. So if that's the case, there's not a whole lot of fuzzes out at that point. Hmm. So it really makes me wonder what they actually used or if they just made the fuzz in the soundboard by clipping amps or clipping preamps. Yeah. Crappy cables. Something is, yeah, something is multiple clipping from various stages and take a listen to it sometime. See what you think. I'd love to, love to see what you think on that. Cause it's, I love the song. So with that said, then it definitely is not the Vox amp doing that. (laughs) I don't think so. It's not their magic. That's all I'm saying. It's not their magic. I agree. But at the same time, you listen to a lot of old Beatles tunes and you listen to them, you know, live at Shea Stadium or whatever. And for what you can hear, that's not the crowd screaming. (laughs) And you go, it sounds like an overdriven Vox amp with low output pickups being run into it. Yeah. I don't know that I necessarily love that either, actually. Mm -hmm. So it makes you go, then how is this Vox magic? And where the magic really comes in is in how you capture it. And that's where we bring back to Brad Paisley tone. Yeah. Because Brad Paisley, he can capture a Vox. Yeah. Without a doubt. It sounds fantastic. Yeah. And I think he's one of those. He's got the 64 Vox that he swears Mm -hmm. by that it's the one. Mm -hmm. And everything he records, that's what you hear. Yeah. So... Had to bring Jason in this because he would know. But that's my understanding is that rare exceptions, I think that's the amp that you hear on everything. Yeah. Even though he's got the Dr. Z's and the train wreck and all those now that he yep. plays live. Maybe he's changed now, but a lot of the earlier albums, I think it's all that 64. The thing is, is that I listen to his tone and I go, that's amazing sounding. But when I listen to Brian May tone... I don't know if you notice this. Whenever I listen to Queen, it always sounds like there is a mic in the room that is louder than the mic at yeah. the speaker. Yeah. It just sounds loud. Yeah. And to me, that's that amp in the room sound. And that's that sound that I always end up trying to get whenever I'm playing a Vox. Mm. Now, Brian May, I believe, stayed on... 
you know, there's the normal channel and the top boost channel. Well, I shouldn't say channel, circuit. There were the Vox amps that originally the normal channel, that's all it was. And then I think it was in 64, they changed the uh, voicing Mm -hmm. of it. So that was brighter because the original Vox amp was pretty dark. But with those low output pickups, the old tellies that they have, you know, it worked with them. But heavier pickups didn't work quite so well. Um, But then they came up with the top boost channel, which was really kind of, I don't know if it was, you you know more than I do on this. I don't know if it was a response to Brian May or just a response to the need of players. Because Brian May, Mm -hmm. his tone has always been like the post-64 Vox amp that is a little bit brighter than the earlier ones already, but still not bright at all. And he would use the Range Master uh, treble booster with Mm -hmm. it. And that's... That's a lot of the secret of, you know, obviously his guitar, too, and his fingers. But his guitar makes a huge part of his tone. But it's interesting that, yeah, he used that Range Master treble booster into the normal channel. And it gave Mm -hmm. that upper mids. You know, it it, it obviously boosted the gain, but it also gave you those upper mids that when you plug into the top boost of the AC-15 or 30, it doesn't sound like that. You won't get Brian mm-hmm. May doing that. But if you plug in a normal channel and you take an EQ pedal or get a range master and you simulate those frequencies, you can get closer. So it was the early Vox AC30 that what they found was is that that EF86 tube was troublesome hmm. and it was causing some issues. And so they did a reworking. And when they did the reworking, it had less treble, but it was more dependable of an amp because they ended up using a, a different tube. They used like the EC833 or something. I don't know. I forget what it was, but they used something else that was more dependable. Well, in that, there ended up being this invention done because people were going, there's not enough treble. I wish it was brighter. Which you and I both know that when it comes to a Vox, if you can get it up past noon... All of a sudden, it stays bright. If you have to go below noon, it loses treble already on its own. Yeah. So that's part of the reason why you got Brian May just cranking the thing and going for broke. But the thing is, is that in the early 60s, I think it might have even been as early as like 1960, there was this invention of something called the brilliance unit. And basically, someone in in the shop was trying to make it more Fender Twin-like, trying to allow for more of those highs. And it was this plate that was actually screwed onto the back of the amplifier that Mm. had a bass and a treble. And they ended up having to change the name from Brilliance Unit to Top Boost because they already had a channel added in called the Brilliance Channel. Mm. Hmm. So okay. they ended up changing it, and that's where the top boost actually originally came from, huh. was from that. And and when I play, I mean, and you know what, maybe we'll come back to how do you dial in your Vox, but there is something to that, the way that circuit works, that maybe they figured out by accident, maybe it became uh, this mod that they did that they just went, I guess it needs to be a part of the circuit, but ultimately that's... It ended up being this creation that they made. Hmm. Now, that said, I do want to take one step back, and I want to go back to the original, because you and I both started out owning the little brother to the AC-30, the originator, mm-hmm. the AC-15. Yes. So when did you get your first AC-15? Uh, 
I don't remember the exact year, uh, but I've had it. I've probably had it. I don't know. Seven, eight years. It's it's been a while. Yeah, I would think it's been that long. I was going to say shorter than that, but it's always it always surprised me how long it's been. It's one of the older amps in my herd because mm-hmm. I had that Reason amplifier for a while that I really liked. Yeah, the Bambino Grande. Yeah, and, and the uh, I can't remember the first one. I had two of them though: smaller wattage, larger wattage, and I loved that amp. But our friend Barber played an event with me, and he had the AC15. And so I think they had just kind of reissued them at that point. Mm-hmm. So it was around that era. And I was like, wow, that thing really sounds great. And I plugged into it after the event and was like, oh, that's cool. Um, I had the opportunity to buy one then that was really, you know, because they were always, you know, really fairly cheap in the used market. Oh, yeah. And so I brought it home and I put it right next to my Reason amplifier and I set them both up very similarly as far as how I would use them live generally, which is edge of breakup kind of a thing. And I set yep. them right next to each other as close as I could. And I ran an AB switch into them and I, and I put tape over the light. So I didn't know which amp I was playing. And I spent about a week just coming in, turning the amps on. And I never knew which amp was on and I would play and I would go, Oh, that really sounds great. And I <laughs> played that a while and I went, Oh, that's gotta be the Vox. And I'd go over and I'd look and like, oh, no, that's the Reason amp. The next day, I'd do the same thing, opposite results, you know? And I went, yeah. but the Reason amp was like a $700 amplifier, the uh, used, and the Vox was 350 bucks. And I'm like, well, yeah, I might as well keep the Vox. It's got, you know, it, it yeah. also has more name recognition for resale value long term. Sure. Um, so anyway, that's how I got it. I remember you sending me a message saying, hey, I found this thing. And I think you found it for like 300 bucks or something. Yeah, and I actually got it for 300 bucks up in Minneapolis. Yeah, and I went, at, uh, do it. Yeah, I got it. Well, I'd already had it. <laughs> when I told you yeah. I already got it. Because I went with Dave Scharnhorst into, um, it was a Pawn America up in Minneapolis. And we actually went into, we were just having a, a pawn store day, which we all love doing. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and I went into, uh, it was a Saturday morning, I was staying up with them, we had nothing going on, went into one Pawn America, and there was a Vox amp there, the AC-15, but it had the wrong speaker, it didn't have the greenbacks, what was the other one that are in some of those? Uh, there was Wharfdales. Oh, were they in the 15s too? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and so I I leaned it back, and I told Dave, if this had the other speaker in it, I'd be taking this thing home. Well, yeah. then we drove to another Pawn America, and they had the Vox AC-15 with the greenbacks in it. And I wasn't looking to buy another amp, and they were only asking 350 bucks for it. So it was already yeah. a good price, but I told them I, I made an offer of 300 bucks. They wouldn't let me leave the store. Like, they kept trying to talk me in. They couldn't sell it for that much. And I kept saying, I understand. You got it priced right. I just don't need to buy it. You know, I don't need to be spending. And they wouldn't let me leave yeah. the store. They mm-hmm. kept convincing me. And I'm like, I will walk out of it for 300 bucks, but I'm not going to pay any more than that. But it is priced right. And they finally just gave it to me. That's awesome. No. <laughs> yeah. My Vox AC 15 story was, it was back when Sweetwater used to do these amazing Black Friday deals. And it was like, it started at like five in the morning. 
Black Friday, and every hour they updated and did something else, did something else, did something else. I remember being excited for it, and I woke up. It was like 4 in the morning, and I looked. And they were selling like a keyboard or something. And I was like, man, I don't need a keyboard. That's no big deal. And I went back to sleep and it was like an hour later. It was like almost on the dot. It was like 5.02. I woke up and I was like, I'm just going to look at Sweetwater real quick. And I looked and they had the Vox AC15, but it was the C1. So it had the green back, but it was also called the TV model. So it had this blue top to it and the white bottom and it looked like a TV and it was, oh, Hmm. and they were selling it for $400 shipped to door. I remember that. Because this is also before the internet used to not have to pay tax if you bought it online. Yeah. And then that got changed. Yeah. Well, this was pre you had to pay tax. Yeah. And so I got mine brand new, shipped to door, yep. 400 bucks. Yep. And it looks amazing. It sounds great. It sounds just like most every Vox, except it has its own little magic. But <laughs> at the same time, it's just, it, it really does sound great. Yep. Do you remember American Guitar and Band? I should. Uh, remind me. It was a cool little shop, and they had a lot of boutique stuff. Wow, where was it? It was in St. Paul, and then it ended up in Maple Grove. Yes, Maple Grove. Yes, absolutely. When I uh, moved up in that area, I went there. I was like, man, I know this store. Cool store. Okay, go. I went in one time, and they had a Vox AC15 CC1X. Mm. So it's the custom classic one, but it was the X, which is a blue Yeah, in there. And... They mismarked it for the price of a Wharfdale version. Uh. They didn't realize it had a blue in it, or they just, you know, quickly marked it and they were like, whatever. And I saw it and I was like, this is 600. And they were like, yeah, it's 600. Because 900 was the new price yeah. of a blue. Yeah. 600 was the new price of the Wharfdale. And I said, would you just take 600 out the door? And they were like, yeah, we'll take 600 out the door. I went, okay. And so I did it and I bought it. And interestingly enough, about a week later, it kept like fading in and out volume. And I contacted him and I said, hey, this thing's fading in and out. Is, is there anything we can do? And he said, you know what? Just bring it in. We'll take a look. So they brought it in. They took a look. They ended up replacing all the tubes in it. They said mm. there was a leaky tube. Huh. I'm like, okay. So they ended up replacing all the tubes with JJ's and they gave it back to me. No charge. Huh. Nice. And I played that thing for about three years, and then I sold it for $750. Yeah. Great story. Yeah, and it was great. So the thing is, is what's amazing about that is that for the longest time, I would take my telly and I would plug it into the normal channel. Play it, enjoy it, love it. Occasionally, I'd play my Les Paul with it, and I'd go, yeah, it's okay. Play my SG with it, and I'd go, eh, it's, it's fine. Play my White Falcon, and I'd go, okay, well, that sounds better. And then I played my PRSs and I would go, this sounds terrible. And I didn't like it. Yeah. And I did this for the longest time. And I always just plugged into the normal channel because it was volume up for the actual channel. It was master volume up and it was a tone cut. And that's all there was to it. Didn't have to worry about it. And I did this for years until all of a sudden I started playing around with it. And I never realized that the tone cut portion of the circuit is a part of the treble boost circuit, the top boost circuit. Mm -hmm. 
And when I realized that, all of a sudden, the Tapu circuit became very usable for me. And I would just plug it into the normal channel, and I'd play, and I'd play, and I'd play, until I got to a point where I went, it's close, but it's not great. And then I would unplug and plug it into the top boost and tweak the treble and the bass knobs Mm -hmm. and the volume knob. And magically, what occurred was fantastic fox tone. Yeah. And so I bring that up only because for years, I had John bringing me AC30s to events. You know, he was like, oh, I got an AC30. You want me to bring it? I was like, sure. And so I'm playing it. It's like 2008, 2009, and I'm playing these AC30s. And, you know, now it's 2012, and all of a sudden I'm going, do you have an AC15? I actually think I prefer that. Hmm. And I played AC15s for years after that. Hmm. So how do you dial in your Vox? I'm similar in that I... I've had a love-hate relationship with Voxes for years, using them at backline shows all the time. And and I always felt like I got ones that were kind of crappy, that they weren't taken <laughs> care of. Like, John takes care of all his. You always know that they're yeah. top-notch. And I think I got a lot of them that just, I just, I was like, and maybe I didn't get them because Voxes are so interactive. All the controls are oh, so, yeah. inter- the volume, the tone stack, everything is so interactive. And I guess I didn't really understand them either. But I was always playing a Les Paul. And like you said, you're kind of like, eh, with a Les Paul or, or humbuckers, you know. Yeah. I still to this day feel like they really shine with strats and tellies. They tolerate mm-hmm. the Les Pauls, but they shine with yeah. strats and tellies. And so for me, when I'm playing a telly, which is really I either play a Les Paul or a telly most of the time, I just stick with the normal channel with the telly. But with the Les Paul, I'm always in the top boost. But yeah. What I, I have been doing lately, though, actually, because everything is so interactive, with the Les Paul, I've been turning the the normal volume to zero, and it changes the way the bass works. <laughs> it's weird mm-hmm. how interact. Uh, it, it changes the way yep. the bass works on the top boost channel. Even though I'm not plugged in to the normal channel, I'm in the top boost channel. Yeah. That dang volume knob still affects the tone. Yep. So I've been running into the top boost channel volume on zero because I used to do the other way around. I used to turn it all the way up, but I like the way the bass is better with the volume turned down on the normal channel that isn't even plugged in, and then uh, <laughs> the top boost. I usually I keep them, you know. Usually they're both about one or two o'clock, somewhere around there. Yeah. And then I use I'm I'm pretty drastic with the tone cut because it's it's great. The tone cut is just a real high presence. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing Vox did with that tone cut. The amp would be really difficult for me to dial in if I didn't have that tone cut. You know, to dial in yeah. that top end is really is really important to me. But the other thing I did is um, the top boost circuit on all the Vox amps are kind of notorious for being finicky about pedals. And I Mm. think that was part of my problem for so many years because Fender amps, they just eat up overdrive pedals. No problem at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, Marshall amps really do too. Vox amps are a little more picky. And so the top boost, it's really that, well, even some Fender amps, they'll have the little switch that you can flip between uh, kicking up the high end. It's really, it's the bright cap. It switches the value of the bright cap from like normal yeah. to bright. Depending on what you're playing, it can be really great. But if you're running pedals in a Fender amp, it usually sounds better with the bright cap off. Same thing with the Vox top boost channel. 
it's got this high end that can be finicky with pedals. So some people, including me, on my Vox AC15, I unsoldered the bright cap or clipped it, as some would you know call it that, on the top boost channel. Yep. So it works with pedals a lot better. It's a little, little less sparkly, but just turn the treble up a little bit more and it's back. It really doesn't change it, but yeah. it makes it work with pedals a lot better for me. Where is the bright cap? Is it like attached to like the input jack or where, where do you find that thing? Yeah, it's uh, it's on the, I'd have to actually uh, either do some research. It's because it's been a while since I did it, um, but it was really simple. It was like, if you open it up the app, it was like C2 or something like that. Yeah. But it's on the channel volume, not on the master. So okay. people will say, well, they'll be wrong. They'll say on the forums, they'll be like, if you turn the master up past noon, you know, if the bright cap's out of the equation anyway, it's like, oh, no, because it's on the preamp. It's only, yeah, it is. you got to get the preamp past noon to really, to work yes. on it. And, well, it's pretty distorted at that point. So if you want to run it cleaner with pedals, it kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, that's true. You know, the thing is, I look at dialing in my AC-15, and for years I've found a way to dial it in, but then, of course, I get to a venue, and if it's smaller, you know, you got to turn it down, which is the reason why I started liking the AC-15 at at these events that we used to do all the time, these Quake events, which actually, you did, you've done a number of them lately, but, yeah. you know, these Quake events, because... The cool thing about it was I could crank up the AC-15 just a little bit more, blow it under the stage, no big deal. Yeah. Fast forward, and all of a sudden I have more chances at playing an AC-30. And when I started getting more chances at playing an AC-30 again, and some of the venues were larger, I started to understand, oh, there is a pretty big difference between that AC-15 and AC-30 tone. Mm -hmm. And it all depends on how loud you can get that amp. Yeah, If you can't get an AC-30 loud, get an AC-15. Yeah. It'll sound amazing. Yeah, If you can get an AC-30 loud and an AC-15 loud, yeah, just do the AC-30. Because yeah. it is a completely different animal. It just sounds, it well, magical. That's, <laughs> that's evidently the word that we're using today. Hmm. So how about we do this? Let's talk a little bit more about the magic. Let's talk about our AC30 stories because you've recently purchased an AC30. Yes, I have. We'll talk about that. I've purchased an AC30 before and I sold it to John. And I've also broken an AC30. So there are many different things <laughs> that, hmm. that we should talk about. But let's talk about that after a word from our sponsors. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Here's another sponsor. Are you wanting to join a party with a purpose? If you love music and camping, then come to Life Fest in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I'll see you there. Here is our last sponsor. Since 2003, the Kretzmann Guitar Company has been repairing and building guitars. In 2021, Kretzmann started a production of a solid body electric guitar for anyone student to expert. You can check them out at kretzmannguitars.com. Okay, so Lloyd, let's go ahead and talk about some of our AC30 stories. A little bit of the purchasing, maybe some woes and some yays with them or whatever. And let's start with 
you recently bought an AC30 CC2 with those Wharfdale speakers. Yes, which stands for Custom Classic. It does. I don't know what year this one was made, um, but they're pretty old, too, from my understanding. I haven't looked up exactly when it was made yet. But AC15... You know, it was a really good jump into Vox. But my, my history with Voxes hasn't been really all that great. Not with pedal. That's the thing. With the Les Paul and pedals, I've always thought that, you know, on their own, they really sound great. But when I try to do anything with an overdrive, especially with a Les Paul or anything with them, I'm kind of like, I'd rather play something else. That's always been my thing with them. And you and I have yeah. talked about that for years, too. It's we Neither of us really jumped on the Vox bandwagon. You know, we could have a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, really, and to do a quick little interruption, like, sure, I, I had the Vox Valvatronics. And, sure. And that was good for what it was at the time in which it was. But all it took was me playing your Marshall to realize I need to get rid of the Valvatronics and I need to get me a Marshall. Yeah. And that's what I did. Yeah. And it wasn't until I started playing with Lynn that all of a sudden I went, oh, oh, Vox tube amps. Oh, that's a thing. <laughs> So our last podcast, you were talking about uh, being in Minneapolis and mm-hmm. you were playing the Vox AC30 CC2, the uh, custom yeah. classic with the Wharfdales. And of the AC30 line, they are on the cheaper end of the spectrum. But even that, yeah. people are asking six, 700 bucks for them. You used to be yeah, able to find correct. them under $500 pretty easily, yeah. but the, not the norm. Um, So I was Mm -hmm. quite surprised when I was on Facebook Marketplace, just for the fun of it, was I put in Vox AC30. And this custom classic, the CC2, popped up, and it was in Cincinnati, Ohio, which isn't close to me. Um, Well, with it, actually, it's with the time change, it's like five hours, so it's not really that far. Okay. But still, it's not not next door. And he was asking $495. And I'm like, okay, what's wrong with it? Nobody asked 495 bucks. Not anymore. And so it piqued my interest. So I contacted him, and I found out that he owns a sound company. Funny enough, after all this, I found out that this guy actually provided sound for two events that Echelon did years ago. So we actually have met (laughs) in Cincinnati. So it was pretty funny that... Did he provide backline as well? And you've played this amp or no? (laughs) He didn't own this amp, but he did provide backline. But I got a, I got a Fender. <laughs> nice. I did a Fender Deluxe both times. Anyway, okay. So uh, he he bought out another sound company that provided backline. He's gotten out of the backline gear. He doesn't do that anymore. So he had all this backline that came with the company. He kept like the ten percent he wanted, and the other ninety percent he's been selling off. Well, he's a guitar player. He's also not greedy. He made enough money off of all the sound gear. That he was like, yeah. I'm just going to price these things to sell. And so yeah. that's why 495 Well, us being us, of course, you know, everybody expects this. You always offer something else than what they're actually asking. Yeah. And so I just, you know, of course, I shot him 450 And uh, he said, let me give it a few days. I put it up a little while, and I said, oh, that's fair. That's fine. I mean, he's in Cincinnati, you know, because sure. I'm like – if I have to get it here somehow or go get it, suddenly it's not worth the price anyway. So I wasn't all that gung-ho right. about it. But I contacted you and was like, yeah. you know, what do you think? 
about this whole thing. Because at this point, I was starting to think our friend Lowell, who is the drummer for Echelon, lives in Cincinnati. Yeah. He could go pick it up for me, and we'll figure out some time of getting it, even if it's a year later. Then it's worth my while. Anyway, that's what happened. He said he'd take 450. <laughs> you told me you got to get it. And I already know that John has a standing offer of any Vox amp under 500 bucks he'll take for his backline yep. stuff. And so I'm like, if I don't like it or if I get tired of it and uh, John wants it and you said you might be interested. Either way, yeah. I knew I could get my money back out of it. So I actually have it sitting right next to me right here. And <laughs> yes. the Custom Classic is interesting because it was like an anniversary model. A lot more bells and whistles on it than yep. other Vox amps. And it's kind of made to kind of be able to voice a bunch of the classic amps. You know, it's got a vintage mm-hmm. and modern setting on the back. Yep. You can run it um, biased, hotter or warmer, you know, to kind of similar. Yeah. It's got the cool feature of being able to plug into one input and you can blend both the normal and the top boost channel together. That's a cool feature. Yeah, no other amp like it has. It's got the Wharfdale speakers, which a lot of people are kind of ho hum yeah. on, but but they're good. There's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. So it's it's been really fun. I I um I sent you a clip that surprised me. When we use them as backline amps, you always run them clean and a breakup. Hit them with an overdrive yep. pedal. That's the way we always play everything. And, Absolutely. And as I told you, the Vox AC30 really hasn't been my favorite amp to do that with a Les Paul. For me, like right. Strats and Tellys, I like it more, but not with a Les Paul, and that's generally what I'm playing. So just for the fun of it on this one, I was kind of dialing it in a really cool tone with the Les Paul, because they always sound glorious by themselves, you know, clean yeah. or over, they do. And, and in fact, you know, like Brad Paisley, he generally has a couple Vox circuits when he plays, He's not kicking a pedal over top of an AC30. He's got another AC30 that's cranked up that he's clicking over to. Yeah. Because he can. Yeah. So I cranked this sucker up with my Les Paul, and I was like, this doesn't sound like Vox. It sounds like a really good Marshall. I was surprised. Yeah, it does. And I sent you the clip, and I'm like, you tell me what's wrong with this. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, and that and there was nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with yeah. it. And that was the beauty of it is I remember you playing and you were like, here it is. And you started playing and I was like, gosh, it reminds me of Brian May. But mm. of course, the reason why it reminded me of Brian May was because it was so stinking loud yeah. and you had your phone on the outside of the corn crib. Yeah, yeah. It was inside the crib. I'm with my wireless unit. Thank you, John, for the uh, wireless unit. Yeah. And I was standing outside. Actually, I sent him the clip, too. He never responded to it, but I sent it to him, too. Because I'm with the wireless unit outside watching the sunset, and my lovely bride, Tanya, took the video. And it's still, you can tell how loud it was. But Oh, yeah. yeah. But very cool. Uh, so, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Well, you know, the thing that I really like about the CC2 is all the little switches because you've got like a standard EQ or a custom EQ and you can go to the reverb and you go, do we want it to be dwell or maybe it was like swell? I forget what it is, but there's two different options for that. One's more like surf guitar reverb, really thick and long. Yeah. I don't really use that. Ghosty. Yeah. Yeah. No, but if I go back to Minneapolis, 
remember I had both the Wharfdale version and the Greenback version. I had the CC2 and I had the C2 yeah. sitting right next to each other. And I plugged into the CC2 first. And there's two reasons why I plugged into the CC2 first. The first reason was I figured I would like the Greenbacks better. So let's plug into the one that I'm I'm not going to like as much, jack with it. And then I'll plug in the one I know I'm going to like, and it's going to sound more magical. That was the idea. So that was number reason number one. Reason number two was because I'd have to go find a jumper cable. Because I yeah. knew that the way I was going to dial this thing in was I was going to plug it into the normal channel. I was going to play it. I was going to enjoy it. And then I would jumper it and now jack with the top boost. And the cool thing about the CC2 is you don't need a jumper cable. You flip a switch. Yeah. And now it's jumpered. Yep. Just that quick. Yeah. Done. That is a pretty sweet, sweet little thing. And and it was in that moment that even playing John's, I was like, you know, I may prefer greenbacks usually, but with the way this thing sounds and with how easy it is to do things, this is a workhorse. I really like this working man's AC30. So you, I asked you if you had a picture of your settings from that event and asked you to send them to yeah. me. Yeah. And so I, I yep. set it up just like you did. And the first thing that I noticed was, dang, you ran that thing clean. Really clean. Yeah. I was shocked at how clean you mm -hmm. ran it. Because I haven't been running it that clean here. And uh, the second thing I noticed was it really wasn't that loud. When I set it up yeah. here, I was like, that really, because I, you know, I run it louder in here because I can. I was like, it really wasn't that loud. Yeah. Partially because the game was so Now, did you use a tube screamer to boost it? You know, because that's the other thing I did. Yeah, you know what's funny about that is I don't really like my tube screamer with it, <laughs> and I love yeah. that tube screamer. That tube screamer is has been the workhorse for me for fourteen, fifteen years. It's mm -hmm. like the mainstay that I bring with me to almost every event because I know it'll work. You know, I know what it sounds like, and I don't really. I don't really, um, you know, I tried, you know, I have, it's part of the reason I have tons of overdrive pedals because oh, yeah. they all kind of work differently. And what I have found out, the pedals that work for me that I like the best with this amp, the Burninator. Of course. A, which is a rat clone, the yep. Timmy pedal, and the uh, uh, the BB preamp. Um, who makes that again? Is that MXR? Oh, yeah, the RC booster. Not the RC booster, which I do use, but the the Cat P one. Yeah, that's the RC booster, but no the the, the Cat Piss booster. Stop it. <laughs> the, the acidic booster. The it's it's now called Real Cat. That's what it is. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> RC stands for Real, real cat. cat. That's exactly right. This is Real Cat on this. Um, no, the real cat urine. I don't know. Is it MXR <laughs> that makes that thing? But anyway, they they make a BB preamp, an AC. Anyway, the BB preamp. It's the orange one. I have that. It's, I think it's supposed to be like blues breaker kind of vibe. Um, oh sure. And uh, that one sounds great with it too. Exotic. Exotic. That's what it is. Yeah, the exotic yeah. BB preamp. So those three are my favorite: the Timmy, the BB preamp, and the uh, Burninator. And they sound good. I still though prefer it if i can just crank it up of course the pedal doesn't get me that 
So what's interesting is, is we talked about this in the last podcast that Jeremy wanted me to turn down. And I was like, no, I think it's just about right. Yeah. So now having you played it at pretty much the settings in which I had, and you're going, that's not really all that loud. It really wasn't that loud. Did it seem louder in the room with me playing it on the other side of the stage It's it than what you noticed? Oh, absolutely. But you played in my crib and sound just kind of disappears. It dissipates in here. Yeah. And so I think you've got very tall ceilings. Yeah. So I, I will agree. And I'm saying that mostly as a, yeah, it makes sense because there are some people that I've played with before that go, no, this is where I always play it. And it, this is not even close to as loud. But yeah, it, the room matters. Yeah, it does. <laughs> the room matters a lot. Yeah. No, I, so it, there is that. Yeah. Too. No, I thought it was plenty loud in the room at Minneapolis. Oh, yeah. But yeah. I was, I was surprised at, I was like, wow. Yeah. It really, it wasn't that loud here you know, what the actual settings were. So, yeah, but yeah, very cool. Thanks for sending me those, by the way, that was, uh, that was fun to do. Yeah. Well, we need to do that more often anyway. You know, so there are a number of different things that go with the AC 30, as far as memories that I currently have. And one of them is, and I've shared this story before on the podcast, so I'm not going to go all the way into it, but there was a time when I was in Wichita Kansas. And I was playing and, you know, at the end of these big events that we used to do, all the people would get on the stage. It was like the last song, last hurrah. So all event staff gets on the stage, other bands would get on the stage and we do this big thing. And I would get on top of the kick drum and get ready to jump off of the kick drum at the very end. Well, I had a spot where I was playing and then I got on top of the kick drum. And I went to jump off the kick drum. And in that amount of time, the other guitar player stood in that spot. Mm. And in that moment, I had to do this flying squirrel thing Mm. that Mm -hmm. was kind of like a change all direction, change all things. And I did a pretty good job of keeping myself from hitting the person. The unfortunate part is, is that I lost my balance And I took out both of the guitar player's guitars, and I ended up sliding over the top of the Vox AC-30, which was being blown under the stage. So I ended up falling off the stage and get caught by the AC-30 on the top. Now, for those that don't remember an AC-30 and the way that you plug into an AC-30, Lloyd, where are the input jacks? Well, Dr. T, they would be on the top. (laughs) They would. And they would also be in my back. So I actually ripped off the input jack and I broke my cable going over the top of it. That's how hard I slid off this thing. And it was so funny because our good friend, Max Brown, came over and helped me up off of the Vox, because I'm still wearing my guitar. And I'm like, how do I get out of this predicament? <laughs> oh, gosh. And that was the last tune. Yeah, it was the last no, tune. Good thank thing. goodness. Mm. And I ended up having to fix that amp for John, because yep. it was his. And it, honestly, it might have been the one I played at that's Minneapolis. <laughs> but um, but that is my, that's one of my Vox AC30 stories that mm. that always lives on in my head. Hmm. It was it was beautiful. Awesome. Hmm. <laughs> The other one that shows up is I remember one time I bought an AC30 and I found one with greenbacks. It was 500 bucks and I went, I'll buy it, 
but I don't need it. It's going to be too loud, and I've got my AC-15, and at the time, I preferred the AC-15, and I ended up buying it for 500 bucks. and I contacted John, and I said, John, do you want this amp? I'll sell it to you for 500 bucks. I know that's a deal, and I know it's what you usually go for, and I'll sell it to you. And he has probably owned that amp now for like seven, eight years, and it has probably made him six times that amount. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but... I'm actually really proud of the fact that I was able to add to his arsenal which, which and help him out in which that AC30 way. Which AC30 was it? It's the AC30C2 with the greenbacks in it. it. He has two of them. Yeah. One of them came from Dallas. Yeah. And I, if I could go back, around that time, I was driving through Madison, Wisconsin. As you know, there's a... Uh, there's a really big Pot America, I think it is. It's a big pawn shop that's okay. in Madison. It's quite large. They even have, they even do uh, have a huge clothing area in there. And I was just walking through. I already had my AC15, and there was the C2, the Vox AC30 C2, which has the greenbacks sitting there. And they wanted yep. it was like 450 bucks. That was the asking yeah. price was 450 bucks. Oh my gosh! And I'm like, so. Um, I contacted you. I think I, because I didn't know, I didn't have John's number at that point. I don't remember how it all went down, but I contacted you and and basically just said, "Hey, let John know there's one here for 450 bucks if he wants it." And at that point, I think he yeah. he said he thought about it, but he you know it was in Madison and he already had yeah. two or three at that point. Yeah, and he didn't really. But I'm like, if I go back in time. It's like, you know, the, one of those moments I can still picture me standing in front of that amp going, why didn't I buy that sucker? You know, at that yeah. point, it was a good price then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 50 bucks. I was like, yeah. And I and it was one of the good ones, you know, that greenback. Oh, yeah. And and how many times have we done that with a Marshall as well? Oh, boy. Yeah, you're right. At, yeah. at Willie's. I don't need a 2210. I don't need it. Nope. I don't need a 2205. I don't need it. You know, now they're worth well over the like 800 we were able to find them for, 700. I bought a 22010. We've had this in a previous podcast. I bought it in Pennsylvania at a pawn shop for uh, like $350, a 2210 head, Marshall head. Brought it home, didn't know what to do with it. Didn't even have a cab to plug it into, but I knew it was worth more than that. Actually, I traded that in. I traded a bunch of things, including the rat pedal, went for my nailer amp. Yep. I traded that in lieu of cash. You know, there's a bunch of things that I wasn't using. And I was like, yeah, when I bought that amp. Even, and I'm like, yeah, even but the, nailer the nailer's amp. nice too. Yeah. And, you know, but <laughs> the rat pedal that I traded, you know, I got like $50 for it in trade, you know, and now they're, right. you know, 600 yeah. bucks. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It depends on where you find that's it. The, that's the way it is. But yeah. So, you know, boy, we could have a whole podcast on I should have bought it, you know. Yeah, or I should not have sold it. Or, um, yeah, what I <laughs> you knew, know, what I, if I knew then what I know now. Yeah, seriously. All right. Well, this probably should bring us to final thoughts. And, you know, what do you have currently on your final thoughts list about the magic of a Vox amp? Um, I would definitely play a Vox amp now. Like I said, I I stayed away from them for years because of poor backline gear experiences. And I think mm-hmm. that a lot had to do, as I said, with 
just weren't taken care of. That, that's part of it anyway. But I would love to have the opportunity to play in a stage regularly as a touring musician where I could have two box AC-30s. Yeah. One set up, edge of breakup, one just dimed, and that's it. And I would be so yeah. happy because in my crib here, I've done this. And I'm like, I don't need yeah. any stinking crutches on the floor. <laughs> this is this yeah. is enough for me. Give me <laughs> that yeah. give me that volume knob and it sounds glorious. I would be very happy playing that way. But I need two. Of course you do. Yeah. Why not three? Yeah, two's fine. I'm not that greedy. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I look at it and I've been fortunate enough to be able to play an AC30 loud. I have been fortunate enough to be able to play an AC15 loud. I've been fortunate enough to play AC30s with Wharfdales and blues and greens, as well as AC15s with Wharfdales and blues and greens. I owned a blue for a while of the AC15, and there has never been a time I've regretted having the Vox. A lot of it has to do with every time I plug in, if I have time to dial it in, I can always find its magic. And I can always find something that I go, yeah, that'll definitely do. Is there times I would rather have a Marshall? Yes. Is there times I would rather have a Fender? Sure. But there's something about Vox magic. And I am, I am honestly ecstatic at the fact that these amps have been produced and have been readily available for me to be able to use. It's been awesome. I I hate since you had your closing thought, it's uh it feels wrong to go back. But <laughs> do you have a preference of like do you if you love the greenbacks, we both love greenbacks. The 25 watt selection greenbacks yeah. is great, which is historically accurate for the Vox amplifier. Yeah. But the blue is what the purest all swear by. And I have never mm-hmm. played a Vox amp with a blue to know I really I've never done it. I don't know. So okay. what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I played the green blacks, I played the Wharfdales, the blue, if, mm-hmm. if, if in your, in your perfect world, which one would you, uh, what would you prefer? It depends on what I'm playing. This is what I know is when I owned the blue and anytime I've ever played the blues, I always feel like I have to crank it more in order to get it to be distorted and nasty Hmm. it's sweeter sounding it's more even sounding with the blues in my opinion the times that i've played it the greenback i always feel like it's more about taming that speaker it wants to be nasty dirty it Hmm. wants to be more broken up but i have to kind of find that sweet spot the blues it was easier to find a sweet spot but it took more to get it growling. Hmm. The greens, it growled quicker, and then I had to find that spot where that's the breakup I wanted. With the Wharfdales, it all has to do with how loud I can get the amp. That's what I noticed with that one. They don't sound very... And, And once again, this is my opinion with my experience that I've had with it, and that is with the Wharfdales, if the amp is too quiet... 
it's almost like the cone or the magnet or whatever doesn't get enough vibration and it sounds a little lifeless. Hmm. A greenback, it doesn't sound as lifeless when you turn it down. With a blue, it doesn't sound as lifeless when you turn it down. With a Wharfdale, it sounds more lifeless when you turn it down. But if you can crank it up, I'll take any three. Sure. You know, they all have their own color. They all have their own sound. It's like somebody saying, what do you prefer, a Vintage 30 or uh, a T75 or an H30 or whatever? And honestly, it depends on the application. But if you can turn them all up, dang, they all sound good. Hmm. Yeah, nice. So... I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. It was definitely words. It was words. Mm -hmm. You know what? And that's what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. That's called therapy. Mm -hmm. And I think that was also considered eating up time to get to the end of therapy. Mm. So. I'm ready. I guess that brings us to a close. So you know what? Thanks for being a part of this, Lloyd. I appreciate you being a part of Vox Amp Magic. Love you, buddy. Thanks. Yeah. Love you, too. All right. Bye. Well, that's all the time we have for the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you like what you heard, make sure you leave five stars in a review. Also, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And remember, you are your greatest asset. Until next time.